It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Don't forget to check out our corporate career boost recruiter, and even student memberships at cbock.com. Welcome. This is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball. I'm an industrial organizational psychology consultant. Today's episode, we're going to talk about getting employees to solve your challenges and giving them a sense of purpose in the meantime. And you know, uh, how many people, how many of you out there have started a job at any time in your life and you're so excited and after about six months you fall in line you think that you were hired because of your talents and your passions and you did everything you could and you wowed the hiring manager and the organization said you're a great fit for our culture and you get there and half of what you're able to provide in terms of value creation for the company is gone well it's not gone but it's swept under the rug i get it I understand that organizations have to uh, keep an eye on things, keep employees in check, but maybe I don't understand it. So if we hire people because they have these these talents, these 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 innate, these natural ways of doing things that can be beneficial to a company, these innovative ways of doing things, differences in productivity styles, you know, whether they're great at idea generation or great at creating a plan and, and following it. So I think of, you know, think of the average person that you know, think of your friends, you know, I know a lot of times when I hang out with my friends, you know, rarely is what we do for a living, uh, a topic of conversation. We're close friends and we know each other's strengths and we know why because of our personalities and what we offer to each other. And that is something that I think in terms of personal identity that is often missing in the workplace. Yes, we wear our different hats. You know, you're a, you're a dad, you're a mom, you're a CEO, you're a laborer, you're a, an administrative assistant, you're a server, you're a dental hygienist, you're, you're a dentist. And I know that we put our different hats on and, and rightfully we should. You know, we, these social norms are what help us um, for, from getting off key sometimes. But think about if you have an organization. So let's say you work in, uh, let's say you work in, you know, healthcare company X. And well, maybe that's a bad example. So I want to try to get uh, an organization that's a little bit farther away from a bureaucracy. Maybe something that's a little smaller. You know, as uh, Hogan, um, the developer of Hogan Assessments, you know, interview, he once said that. The larger organization an organization gets and the closer it gets to the size of government, the more it becomes a bureaucracy and the more there is so much red tape and it's so hard to feel um, to have a personal identity. Uh, so let's take, a, let's take a small sign printing company. You know, by small, I mean, I don't know, maybe medium. So, so three, 500 people. Okay, so you've got everything from design, you've got sales, you've got logistics, 
you've got um, of course your HR so you've got everything your marketing you've got everything in there you know that matters at 300 people is a pretty decent sized company for this example so with 300 people how many years of life experience do you have altogether cumulative with 300 years or 300 people how many years of experience at that company do you have so let's say that we start to look at the individual you know each individual employee employee number one employee number 50 employee number 102 and we look at that individual as a whole and what they have to offer and we start to map that out you know we think what does this person bring to the organization in terms of you know, add or take away from the organization's culture, add or take away from morale, add or take away from negative from from uh, by gossiping and complaining or by creating a, a better in, environment by maybe, you know, positive, positive gossip. Think about all the when these people go home, think about all the problems they solve. You know, you've got people that work on cars, you've got people that do arts and crafts, you've got people that cook, you've got people that, you know, you know, fight the good fight against, you know, whatever it may be. Um, you've got people that will figure out a way uh, to get out of any situation, you know, legally. You've got, you've got people that will uh, find a way to help others in need. You've got a way you've got people who have a way of connecting people who have common interest you have people who will you know research and research and research a hobby or something that's important to them you've got people it, the 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 natural talents of people it's it's enormous and how much of that is actually coming to work and if it's coming to work is it coming to work within their first week or two and all of a sudden you know, somebody's stepping on their neck a little too hard along the way and they decide, I'll fall in. It's okay. I'll be me at home. I'll have my personal identity at home. That's not good for the organization. That's not good for anybody. When you can understand what a person brings to an organization and you have that identity, that personal identity become aligned with the company's identity, that's when you can have this individual start to create value for your company. Otherwise, they're coming to work, they're watching a clock, and they're checking a box. Now, of course, you have those outliers who, outliers who are very high on job commitment. Job commitment is much different than organizational commitment. So you have someone who's committed to their job. It's because they love the job. You know, maybe they're an architect and they love that. They might hate their employer, but they love their job. So they're going to do a, a good job anyway. If you can get people who are good at something, and everyone's good at something, and to have them be committed to the actual organization, that is, you know, it's almost like, you know, what more could you want? But the oddity is, why don't people, why don't organizations focus on that as much as they should? And I'm, and I'm, I'm careful to use def to to not use definitives like always and, and never because you know, you know, saying always and never is usually. It's not, it's, it's a lie, right? You know, it's like you say to your kid, you never clean, well, maybe that's a bad example, but you might say, um, you know, you never listen to me. Of, of course, there's some points when, when someone listens to you. So, or you, you always, uh, you always bring this up. They don't always bring it up, but they, you know, you, you think about it a lot. So of course it, it seems like they bring it up all the time. 
So when I talk about organizations, you know, I'll say, you know, why aren't organizations doing this? Some of you out there might be saying, you know, well, mine does. And kudos, awesome, connect with me, I want to interview you. I want a phone interview, I want a video interview, I want to take you out for coffee, I want to figure out what you're doing right and what your company is doing right. Because um, as far as a lot of people are concerned, needle in a haystack. So what are some of the things that, that, that we can do to start to better understand, you know, what actual talent, you know, how do we, you know, let's say you hire someone $40,000, you hire, hire them to do a job. Are you really getting that whole person or are you getting, you know, the uh, 7% of a person and their ability to very specifically do that very tiny specific, you know, those specific tasks towards that job? And if that's what you want, then, then, then that's great. But I have to say, there is something called discretionary effort where it's like discretionary money. It's your leftover money. You know, you've put your money into savings, you've budgeted, and at the end of the month, you've got some leftover because you didn't buy X, Y, or Z. That's your discretionary money. You can do whatever you want with that. You can go out to dinner, you can go to a movie, you can put that in savings, you can put that in your stock drawer, whatever you want to do. Well, employees have discretionary effort. They've got a certain percentage of effort. And how many of your employees are giving away their free effort, that extra energy, that extra providing extra momentum for the company, that extra time, that extra doing something without complaining? How do we get them, you know, it, it, it seems like there's, if you're in business and you're making a business case for employee development and, and for engaging with your employees and, and, and really focusing on your employee experience, there is a business case for taking the time to understand what else does this employee have to offer the company that's free. And the reason I say it's free, so I'm going to take a little side, a little tangent here. Think of the theory of the theory of constraints, TOC, right? Elihu Goldratt, back in, oh, I want to say the 70s, wrote, I think, the most read uh, book out there on management logistics. He wrote the book, The Goal, and then he wrote the, the theory of constraints. And the goal, basically, any resource that is not being used is considered a free resource. So... In his book, he writes a story. You know, he tells a story to get to get a message across. And it turns out that in a in a factory, there is a there are three machines that are outdated, old, not being used. But by the end of the story, the end of the book, the person in the story, this 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 individual who's in charge of everything, finds that value can be created if this free resource, which are the old machines, are actually put into use. So the question is, what free resources are you not using? Are you not tapping into that your employees hold? So free resources, you know, they're inherent. What are their work passions? If they, let's say that they have no choice but to dislike the company, what is their job passion? Are you really tapping into that? Um, is it somebody who has a skill of, of doing something to help create a culture and engage other employees? Is it somebody who has a, a you know outstanding ability to, to shut down negative gossip? You know, maybe maybe they're the kind of person where somebody comes up to them, to them and says, "Hey, 
you know, did you hear about so-and-so or I can't believe the company's doing this. And that, and, and this person just has an uncanny ability to say, sounds like you've really thought about that. I need to get back to work instead of engaging in that negative gossip. Do you have someone that has an uncanny ability to make meetings less boring, you know, to make meetings actually effective? Do you have someone who has the ability to, you know, so th- think about this too, you know, how many, you know, when you look at automation, all right, so you look at automation um, in, in, in factories and you look at the, the things that can be done now without human involvement. So in factories, you know, it goes, you know, the company's losing money when employees are working. And the reason is because everything's automated. So if the machines aren't working, then employees have to step in to fix the machines. So if employees are working, their company's losing money because the machines aren't working, the machines aren't producing, the machines aren't packaging. So that's the employees have to step in. So is there somebody who has an uncanny ability to be the, 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 the fixer in the organization where management doesn't have to get involved with every little thing because this particular employee has a great sense of awareness, has a great sense, you know, be it a, a restaurant, okay? So let's take an example, you have a restaurant. So let's say you've got someone who's very aware of the, the struggles or of um, different issues that, that all the other servers have or is able to have foresight because maybe a menu item, you know, you're getting low on a menu item or maybe you're out of a menu item and maybe you have an employee who doesn't necessarily know how to give that message to maybe you have someone who's a little more timid and doesn't know how to give that message to customers and maybe the person you know goes up and says hey you know uh by the way we're going to be out of this item and here's something that i usually say to to our guests uh when we're out of an 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 item And, and they usually take it very well and you can make another suggestion well you just really helped that other server out she didn't have to go he didn't have to go to the boss and ask that question and there's no problem created. So what are the, the different talents? Like what are, what are these people bringing to the organization? So how do you figure what this, how, how do you figure it out? One simple way, and this takes, you know, and, and I, I say, oh my gosh, it takes 10 to 15 minutes. Think of how much time people spend on negative gossip and complaining in the workplace. How much time per day in an average organization do people spend with negative thoughts, negative complaining, negative gossip, thinking in their head? That takes them away from, from doing what they should be doing. You know, for some reason, the number seven minutes pops into my head. And I, I think that's about right. Seven minutes. Seven minutes a day for an organization of 100 people comes out to lost labor wages of $42,000 a year when you do the math at only 48 weeks a year. For a company of 6,000 people, that comes to $2.5 million a year in lost wages. Lost productivity time, I should say. Lost productivity time. So this stuff matters. So what if you got all your managers in a room and said, hey, you know, each of you are in charge of five to 10 people. Uh, How about, what would happen if... Each of the managers in the room here took 10 minutes to create a mind map. And if you don't know what a mind map is, you can you know, look it up on, on the internet. It's uh, just a, a neat way of creatively getting your thoughts down on, a, on, a, on paper. Created a mind map of everything that, that this person that you're, 
your employee gives to the organization. And we could start to much better understand the, the value that these people bring. And then you can create a little bit of a plan because there is a lot of research in terms of how uh, we need to start bringing um, you know, the human aspect back into the world, back into the work world. Um, there's a lot of people that say that's the greatest killer of productivity is not putting the, the human you know, back in human resources or managers not being so, so human uh, to other people at work. So even better, have a conversation. You know, how, 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 much, how effective would it be to spend 10 minutes to sit down and, and talk with an employee and just say, hey, what are you really good at? You know, these, it's these tiny questions that make such a big difference. And there's no formula to follow. There's no particular action plan. But just changing your mindset and your, and your, and your perspective, all you really have to do is just pick an employee who doesn't expect you to come up to them and talk to them and say, hey, I noticed you did a great job with X, Y, and Z. What are, you, what are you really good at? It got me curious. And then just start to ask some open-ended questions. You know, how does that involve your choice of college degree? What, what started that? I can see you're really passionate about that. And just use communication skills and do less talking and more listening. If somebody says, if, you know, let's say you have a, a server and you notice, so you're, you know, it's a, it's a slow night and you're, you're, you're watching the, you're watching the interactions of the server, you're watching the servers, you're watching the processes, you're watching the, the, the food delivery and so forth. And you notice that there's an elderly couple and they sit down and they're kind of in a humbug blah mood and it's the, the gentleman's birthday. And let's say he's, he's 93 years old. That's his birthday. And they're, they're coming out to eat. So the server learns that it's this gentleman's birthday. Let's call the server Tim. So Tim, you, see, you notice that Tim sits down at the table with them. And all of a sudden, their humdrum, blah mood starts to become lighter. The gentleman starts to smile. His wife starts to laugh. And all of a sudden, their entire experience is changed. After that interaction's over, after the couple is done, is finished with their dinner and they leave, you say to Tim, hey, Tim, I noticed that that couple, they came over and they were kind of in a blah mood. And you sat down and talked to them and the rest of their meal and their experience here just seemed to be, they were in a good mood. They were happy. They were really enjoying themselves. Tell me about that. And Tim says, well, I knew it was his birthday, so I sat down and I just said, hey, what's one of your best, what's one of your best memories? And his, the guy's eyes light up and he just starts talking about it and it changed absolutely everything. And you say, what do you, that, that, you, you've got a knack, Tim. What are you, what are you going for school, in, what are you in school for? Oh, I'm going to be a, 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 an RN. You know, I'm in school for nursing now. Wow, you're going to be great at that. You have an ability to make people feel comfortable in tense situations or in situations that don't have to be as blah as they need to be. And I can see that in pretty much any hospital setting. You're going to be really good at what you do. Do you think that Tim is going to be so excited? Do you think Tim is going to go 
tell his family and, and friends about that? Do you think Tim's going to look at you differently from now on? Do you think Tim's going to work extra hard? Do you think Tim's going to think twice before he calls in sick? Do you think Tim's going to provide... Oh, and for the rest of the night, I would argue very strongly that Tim will provide the best service for the rest of that night that he's ever provided, even though he's as good as he is. I guarantee that his, his the service he provides, he will hang on that and he will do so much better. All because you as that restaurant manager had a five minute, five minute, five minute conversation. It doesn't take that much. But it seems like when we're in any kind of position of power, we're afraid to give out praise. Praise is the biggest motivator. Praise can be the biggest demotivator if done the wrong way, meaning you 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 start something with the praise, but it's the but, right? But how, there it is. How afraid are people in power to, to give praise? And I think about this often. And it when you tell someone they're good at something, psychologically, it creates uh, an expectation. And I think people are afraid that, well, if I give them feedback now, I'm going to have to keep giving them feedback. You know, oh no, you know, your manager, your leader, that's, that's what you do. You're a coach, you're a parent, you're a teacher. That, that's, that's the job. I also think that it creates a comparison. And whenever we tell someone great, we realize our own deficiencies. And for a coworker, for a leader to tell someone else they're really good at something, it doesn't give them the chance to hoist them, themselves up as well. What are you really good at? What do you love to do? Those are two simple questions. What are you really good at? Um, I'm really good at um, figuring things out. When I was a kid, I used to take about apart radios and put them back together. How would you do that? Just engaging. Ask a question that starts with what or how. Follow up with a question that starts with what or how. When they say something, repeat a word, paraphrase, and it takes five to ten minutes. That is it for this episode. Feel free to contact me, send me an email, and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at Seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com. <laughs>